Welcome to our Moving Forward with SDI podcast, featuring the founder and CEO of Lead Inclusion, Leanne Young. She is an educator, professor, author, and international consultant. Thanks for sharing your experience and expertise with us today. My name is Laura Lee Lake. I'm the SDI lead for Central Rivers AEA, as well as special education consultant and a shared director of special education. I'm here with my colleague, Kelly Ward. I'm Kelly Ward, a literacy consultant with Central Rivers AEA, utilizing my experience as a special ed consultant and coach to advocate for equitable access for all students. Our question for today is, what's the plan? In this session, we will dig into the components of the SDI framework, diagnose, design, deliver, and engage to think about how we plan for effective instruction. We look closely at critical feature six about student access and engagement, as well as the green section that runs along the bottom of the framework about engaging the school team. Okay, welcome Leanne. Thank you, thank you both, glad to be here. One of our, to start off, we're gonna talk about our SDI guiding principles that we have. And SDI supports learners to access standards and reach grade level aligned goals. That's a statement from our um, SDI framework. This guiding principle has some of us asking, really, all students can access and engage in the general education? Prove it. So Leanne, how would you respond to this hesitation? Yeah, well, of course, that's a that's a reasonable question. You know, we had we set high expectations with our grade level standards or competencies or proficiencies, depending on where in the country you live. And, and you may be thinking, you know, for students who have two and three and four grade level gaps in some of these standards, how on earth can we provide access? And, uh, you know, my first response before we get into designing special, um, specially designed instructions for students, I have to bring us back to universal design for learning. You know, the more that we can build into our everyday lessons, our everyday units, uh, the more of a head start we're going to have, the, the less something special we are, in fact, going to have to design. Um, so so our first task really is to see what barriers we can remove. There are a lot of existing barriers out there for students who have language or learning differences. Um, how can we um, how can we use multiple means of representation? So, for example, how can we pair the words that we're using verbally with images, with analogies, with videos, um, hands-on activities to both engage learners, but also to enhance their understanding. Um, how can we use graphic organizers and provide notes for everybody? So a lot of these are strategies that, yes, they're specially designed instruction strategies. If we look to the special education literature, we see loads of support for these. And we could absolutely, um, as a one-off, um, use any one of these strategies for a given student, but to the extent that we can borrow from special education strategies like any of those and give them to everybody, we're going to accomplish so much more. We're going we're gonna to get so much farther in, in not only providing access for students who have IEPs, other labels, or the largest gaps, we're also going to provide access for students who sometimes fly under the radar. And, uh, and by doing so, we also destigmatize the need for something special. So again, still, you know, it's incredibly supportive, or still, it's incredibly important that we 
um, have uh, specially designed instruction strategies ready to use with any given student, um, but we want to stand on the shoulders of universal design for learning. So you kind of talked about this in your response to that question. When we're planning for a learner with significant gaps, it takes so much time. So if we're spending this time on one student, what about all the other kids? Yeah, you know, in uh, in the book that I know that you're going to bring up later, I talk about um, layered success criteria. Um, and, you know, when we think about all of the ways that students can show success and, uh, and, and we, we identify the way that can look for a variety of students ahead of time, then we don't find ourselves caught in the moment trying to make big decisions and make something accessible for a student, you know, in the moment. It, it does mean we have to really be clear about what it is we're teaching. What is the fundamental skill here that, that we're teaching? You know, is it about, for example, summarizing text? If that's fundamentally what it's about, then we can come up with different layers of how that could look. How could that look for a student who is, you know, kind of right on grade level, right where we would expect? How can that look for a few students who came in already able to do that? But then what is the fundamental skill that everybody is working on? And when we identify that, when we understand that and we have that planned for ahead of time, then it is pretty easy to come up with an option of how that could look for a student uh, who maybe does have a larger gap and needing a lot more support. So again, it's about thinking about the layers ahead of time. This, you know, this one time where you have a student who's got a significant gap is not going to be the last student for whom that is true. And so when we come up with a solution for that student, and maybe maybe we've got a special educator or other specialist and classroom teacher coming together, you know, to design and really think about what the success criteria might be, well, let's just keep note of that. Let's keep note of that and build that into the lesson then as a possibility for any future student who might have the same need. And over time, we build such a repository, if you will, within within these lessons that um, that our ability to include a wider and wider profile just just increases over time. So just to follow up with that, I hear you saying planning at the outset. So we're going to plan all of this, the success criteria, so we really know what students have, what's the fundamental thing that they have to do. So in this podcast, we're going to talk a lot about universal design. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between universal design and differentiation? Uh, sure, sure. So uh, both both same concept, right? We're trying to make our instruction work for a broader profile of learners. But one of the ways that I like to, one of the analogies to borrow from a UDL strategy, one of the analogies that I like to give for this is um, making buildings accessible. So um, I travel a good bit. And when I visit cities that are old and places where maybe there aren't the same laws for accessibility, you uh, you run into buildings that aren't accessible. So you might run into a building that doesn't have elevators, it doesn't have wider bathroom doors or buttons to open doors, and it's 
not accessible. Is it important to make that historic building accessible? Absolutely. Um, but it's going to be a big deal. We're going to have to think very specifically about this building and what needs to change. It's going to take a team of architects and a whole lot of money to make this historic building accessible. But really important that we do that. That's sort of like differentiation. Once I know my students, I've really spent a lot of time getting to know the whole child, each of my, each of uh, the students in my classroom. And I'm thinking about for this group of students, what do I need to do? How do I need to group? How do I need to uh, change instruction? Um, what do I need to make available? That's sort of like making changes to those uh, existing buildings. But now if I go build a new building, making it accessible is not going to be so hard. I'm, you know, people have figured this out. We know what features need to be put into place, and it's much easier to build a building um, that's accessible from the outset. So this is kind of like, well, I've delivered my lessons. I'm, I'm revising my lessons for next time. I'm thinking critically, as we all do, about what we just delivered and what would I change, what went well, what didn't. What am I going to do next time? And so even before we know who our students will be, we can make tweaks to the great instruction that we're already delivering, these lessons that we already have designed, but we're doing it ahead of time. And so that's more akin to, to universal design for learning. Mm, I like that analogy so much. It helps us. And when I'm listening to you talk and then thinking about our model, that SDI framework, I feel like, yes, we have diagnose, design, deliver. We're really digging into that design. It's um, before we deliver, we're talking about design, but you also um, are mentioning that engagement piece where we have our teams working together. You mentioned borrowing from the special education strategies, general education teachers, special education teachers. So as we're really making sure that we have learner engagement and success, um, one question we get often is, well, it's different in elementary or in secondary settings. So are there special considerations that you think a secondary teacher versus elementary teacher might want to kind of plan for or think about in all of this work? Yeah, sure. You know, and, and you know, I hear from a lot of teachers out there that, you know, things start to get more difficult in secondary, particularly as we think about engaging kids. I mean, if you walk into a preschool classroom, you know, you think about how learning looks in a preschool classroom. Mm -hmm. Kids are engaged. They're having fun. They're engaged for the joy of learning. They don't even know they're learning right? The preschool teachers do an awesome job of sort of tricking kids and uh, letting them love learning. And they have no idea, you know, that all of this is, you know, arranged on purpose for them. But something happens, you know, and I guess we all have our theories around this. Um, and mine is around assessment and grading. And somewhere along the way, grades start to become important. And I, you know, it's the view of a lot of us that grades can steal the joy of learning. And the joy of learning is, you know, ideally what's engaging kids, the the curiosity, the joy, the joy of uh, solving curiosities and investigating and following something that's 
conflicts of interest. So I would I would uh, encourage those of us who are in secondary environments, even upper elementary environments, to ask questions about how can you how can you remove some of the focus on grades? How can we build in interest-based learning opportunities like we do in early childhood? How can we maybe go visit some of these early childhood classrooms for um, ideas and, and ways to question? Uh, clearly, also in secondary, uh, some of the logistics are a bit different. So I might I might ask schools, how can we how can we think about the roles and responsibilities of special educators who are partnering with partnering with general educators and particularly in in smaller schools, but really, you know, in any size school, thinking about how can our special educators specialize in particular content areas or skills. So sometimes you'll see a special educator for the seventh grade, and then that person is responsible for really being an expert in all strategies with seventh graders. And so I might suggest that that we specialize a bit so that not only do you have special educators who are real experts in particular strategies and content areas, but there are, there are a lot of faculty for seventh grade. There are a lot of faculty, a lot of different faculty for ninth grade. And how can we start to build teams and relationships uh, with adults? And I know that that poses particular challenges in small schools, but but at least in my experience, it's been that that's that's a really useful strategy in in how we can make the most of our special educators' expertise in co-designing lessons and instruction and then being ready to design uh, intervention and deliver that when it when it becomes necessary. Okay, we're gonna just reflect back on our topic today, which is what is the plan? What's the most important thing that we should keep in mind and maybe our other resources or places that you would um, turn us towards, lead us towards? Yeah, you know, uh, having high expectations, I think is the probably the most important thing to keep in mind. I mean, whether we're talking about designing curriculum, designing lessons and units with universal design for learning in mind, or we're talking about designing intervention, you know, expecting that kids will get there. I heard, um, I was in a school just last week where uh, someone was describing a student who had pretty significant um, learning disability, uh, language-based learning disability or dyslexia, and how, you know, the gap was so wide and they're probably not going to be able to catch up. But you know, I wonder how that might have turned out if everyone had expected all along that the student could be on grade level, because that is absolutely true. Every student who has uh, dyslexia should be graduating on grade level. So if we have high expectations and provide options for how students show their learning uh, and we deliver the appropriate intervention at the appropriate intensity, um, there's no reason that students can't meet and exceed our expectations. So a lot of what we talked about today is in your new book, Seen, Heard, and Valued. Um, what are some of the ways that you see individual teachers and teams utilizing that book to meet their needs? Well, uh, just, just before we started talking, Laura Lee was saying that she liked the format of the book. Well, the format of the book uh, was intentional. I mean, it was trying to really 
demonstrate as best I could in a text format how universal design for learning might look. And so there are a lot of options. There are a lot of options for how you might engage in each section of the content. So I've included a lot of case stories, suggested activities. Start with a small team and pick what seems the most relevant. See if any of those case studies or your own case stories, bring your own and engage in some of the activities. Describe what we're already doing uh, as a team or as a school to learn from one another. One of the one of the things I do in professional development often is when we're thinking about strategies to build relationships. And I have everybody kind of in a speed dating kind of format. Um, tell someone else the you know your best strategy. What is your best strategy for engaging kids or building a relationship? And then we swap around and share again so that we're kind of learning from one each other's best. So thinking about students on the edges, and we all have a jagged profile. Every one of us has areas where we shine and areas where we're needing more support. But as we're thinking about those edges, what are the solutions that you've already come up with? And then I hope the book offers some additional to, to add to your bag of tricks. Awesome. We have lots to think about. And um, thank you. And we're excited to really dig into your book with some teams. but also just continue talking about this message of inclusion and student success, high expectations, all good reminders. So thank you so much for your time. Anything else to add before we sign off? No, just uh, thank you for having me. I appreciate the, the chance to think about how we can remove barriers in every classroom. Awesome. Thank Great. you. Thank you. Okay, so great talk with Leanne today. As always. Um, she left us with one really big thing to keep in mind, which is having high expectations. So just thinking about that for a minute, I feel like that's hard. Like it sounds easy, but it's hard when we are talking about students with such varying degrees of needs. What are you thinking about that? What really resonated with me with that high expectations was when she was talking about designing in the outset. And being really thoughtful about what is it, what's the foundational thing that we're trying to teach, and then expecting all kids to do it. They can show it in different ways, but this is the skill or this is the concept that I'm expecting of all of my students. And I think that's where that high expectation comes in. If we expect them, we're not saying we expect everything. If we know what that core thing is, then we can have high expectations because we've designed it so that everyone can access yeah, when I think about how we get hung up on that one, I think, but this homework assignment or this task is, there's no way this student could do that. But if we dig down into, but what is it that they must show us? She mentioned like that options to show learning, like thinking about student strengths or that jagged edge, like what, how could they use their strengths to show what they've learned? That really takes some of that well-designed pre-thinking yep. before we teach. Um, that sounds actually more fun when she talked about the joy for our younger students. Like, that sounds like more fun if I can use my strengths to show you what I know. And as that, as we think about that, considering when we're designing initially, it's just going to get better and better as we continue mm -hmm. to go back and reflect and dig deeper as we continue to teach those units or those lessons. 
when we think UDL from the outset, then we get better and better at it. And like you alluded to, what engages kids, it's the joy of learning. Mm-hmm. And so if we can think about how to cultivate some of that joy from the early years into our upper years, again, at the outset, as we're planning for those lessons, we'll have higher access and engagement for students. Mm-hmm. Something else that goes along with that, we she talked about borrowing those special education strategies, um, destigmatizing, like, oh, this is only for students who have an IEP, they, they're the only ones who can show their learning in this way, but to make it just an option for all students, um, I really like that. And I think about that team, when we read about that engagement for learning as building teams, gen ed and special ed working together, I feel like that's something schools really want to think about. Do we have time for that? Are we pulling our teachers together? And is that how they're using their expertise to plan or are we being more responsive or modifying tests or, you know, those kinds Mm -hmm. of things after? Well, and she talked about the speed dating of how to share those strategies with each other, those access and engagement strategies, because we all have a lot. Mm -hmm. And if we allow everyone to use them, then that word destigmatizing I think is important because how often do we hear, well, they don't use it. They have access to that, but they don't use it. Mm-hmm. Well, if it if it's allowed for everyone to use speech to text, then it's not going to be so stigmatizing. So again, just design it in the outset so that everybody can use it. Right. Um, after we paused and left Leanne, um, we asked her a question about what was something she wished she maybe had brought up and hadn't had the opportunity. And one thing she mentioned was that at our secondary levels, we really want to ensure that our special education teachers aren't being used to do homework help. Um, And I think that ties so tightly into what we're talking about is that we're, we're collaborating as teams of educators to design, but what does that SDI look like then? What should that look like if it's not helping? Because if we get it right in the classroom, our students won't need so much help just to pass a class. So then what does SDI look like? So kind of thinking about that, what should we be doing with SDI? What are we thinking about that? And I think when she talked, again, back to the high expectations that we believe all students can learn to read. And when we plan at the secondary level, that maybe it is having specialists. So if I'm the secondary teacher, one is math and one is uh, specialized in reading so that they can deliver those instructional supports that those where the students is at instruction so that we can close the gap. And then as a team, collaborate to think about here's what they're getting with me as a special education teacher, but how are they then accessing the rest of their day? Yeah, that's really rethinking our secondary um, model and um, making sure that we don't give up on students really getting those skills that they need for life instead of just getting through high school. Yeah, for sure. So great talk. Yeah. End of our three-part series with Leanne and... um, We're so thankful that we have the time to work with her. Yeah. Hopefully people can take this and go out and provide more access engagement for all of our students. Thanks for listening. 